Listen to the word of God. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Another thing that's happening next week is that Micah Tuttle will be speaking to us. Uh, Micah is a missionary that we have known for, for a number of years. And uh, in addition to giving us an update on some of his ministry and things that are, that are happening, there will be a potluck lunch. So we encourage people to bring a salad and a dessert to share. And uh, after the service next week, we'll have tables set up in the back, and, and Mike will have a chance to give us uh, a little more of an, a ministry update on, on what's new with him and his family. So as a segue off of that, that uh, later in the service, there will be two offerings. The second offering is our quarterly missions offering. So uh, Micah Tuttle is one of the missionaries that we regularly support, and um, we have seven families, seven missionary families that you guys are familiar with that, that we support. So the second offering is our chance to give towards those. So that's all that I have by way of announcements. We do have a special announcement. Why don't you guys come up, Katie and Jackie. You guys are going to share a little reminder about Awana. And, and for those of you who don't know, um, in the very last Wednesday of the month, we'll be starting that up. So August 28th is our start date. So when Pastor Steve first started here a couple years ago, one thing he said was that he was praying that God would do something big in and through Creekside Church, and he asked us to pray that along with him. So we believe one of the many answers to that prayer is the significant growth that our Awana program experienced last year. We had 115 kids enrolled. This year returning, we will have over 40 TNTers, which is third to fifth graders, over 25 Sparks, which is kindergarten to second, and at least 10 Cubbies, which is preschool to pre-K. Now that doesn't count any new families that will come, and we have had word from the local churches that there's many families interested, or um, the Puggles group. We had a group for twos and threes last year. So something that, if you're not involved in the Wednesday Night Ministries, many of you might not know, is that a significant portion, probably over half of the kids we serve, come from the local Chin and Karen refugee community that lives right here in Urbandale. Before coming to Awana, and something that many of the verse listeners can attest to, many of these kids didn't even know the English words for Jesus or God, heaven, hell, and sin. And so we've been blessed with the privilege to share the gospel with them in English to teach them these words, to teach them how to share the gospel in English, which when they grow up will probably be their primary language. They're in the public school system all day speaking English, and so what a blessing it is to equip them with Christian words and knowledge in the English language. Okay, just a little bit about the commitment if you decide to be involved in the Awana program. It's about an hour and a half commitment on a Wednesday night, plus getting here and, and going back home. But you can come a little early, like 5.30, we do serve a dinner, especially those of you who have young kids, it's really convenient. Katie with four kids, I mean, it just helps her a lot. And even if you don't have kids and you just want to come hang out before. So Awana runs 6.15 to 7.45. What's expected of you when you're here is, um, at least for the Sparks and the TNT, which is the older program, the, the older kids, you're going to listen to them say their verses. Or if they don't have verses memorized from home that they've done throughout the week, then you um, help them. You help them in there. They have a booklet. The verses are in there. You don't need to have any expert um, training. 
just come and they love seeing the same adults every week. If there's an adult that's gone that they're used to seeing, they just like, where is she or where is he? You know, where are they coming back? So they really get attached. So you, you would just be listening to them, helping them with their verses. They do a game time for about 20 minutes. You can stand on the side, sit on the side, stand by them, and you just cheer them on. After that, there's a lesson in here, and um, Mark and Ryan do our teaching, and so you're just sitting with the kids, kind of some crowd control. They're getting a little antsy by that time, but uh, really it's, we are the ones, and those of you in here who've done it, it, you receive the blessing. And what more important ministry can we do than to teach them the word when they're young? Because I know for myself, the, the verses that I learned younger in life are the ones that I tend to remember more than now. It's, it's so much harder to memorize as you get older. You do need to be here every week or, you know, obviously you may travel or whatever, but it's important that you be here every week just because the kids depend on us. But I'll tell you the weeks, they go fast. And um, I, I work with kids every day at the school and I just pray that God gives me the energy on Wednesday nights. There's some nights that I'm like, I'm really tired and kind of tired of kids, but God always gives me the energy and enthusiasm that I need just enough to get through the, the evening. So he will do that for you too. One really uh, important role that we need is for a Cubby's director or directors. I know I've done that in the past, Katie has. You can. You can do it with someone or more than two of you. Uh, their program is a little different. They're back in the back room, and they do do their own lessons. But you have a book that explains the lesson. You're not coming up with your own lessons each week. It's really spelled out. And you can take turns. And honestly, these kids are four and five. They don't care if you have any training. They just love to sit and listen and again just be loved on. If we do not get the Cubbies directors then we will not be able to have the Cubbies program and that will affect probably some older kids because there are families that come that have older kids but also have younger kids. Anyway please prayerfully consider that. Grab a friend or a few friends and say hey we you know we can do this together. You can have a lot of fun with it too. There will be childcare for kids under four, so if you're like, well, I have a, a young one, I can't do it, but you can. <laughs> a couple of final things. Mary has a table set up in the back. If you're here today and your kids do attend Awana, please grab forms and pre-register them. We are trying to make the chaos of opening night where everyone's around that table a little bit smoother. So if you could pre-register them, get your forms to Mary, that would be wonderful. The other thing is on Wednesday, August 21st at 6.30, we're gonna have a training and orientation here. So for anybody who is wants to serve in Awana or just wants to learn more, we would really like you to come, even if you've served in Awana in the past, because we're gonna be sharing some more information specifically about the kids that come to the program and ways we can help or see them succeed and so on. If you have any questions about Awana or are interested in serving, see Mary or Mark, Jackie, myself, the Fennessys, the Clarksons, just see anybody that serves in the Awana program and I'm sure they would be thrilled to tell you more about it. Thank you. All right. I'm getting rid of this. All right. Yeah, they don't want me having two microphones, so it's one is enough. Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's be continue to be praying. Uh, children, you're dismissed for Sunday school, so in case you are wondering, that is the announcement for that. Uh, lots of announcements today in your bulletin. There's a half-page insert, and on the back of that, there is an advertisement for a conference that's coming up in September. Really want to encourage you to consider uh, going to that conference. You can sign up at the guest table, the Welcome Center. If you're interested, it's a conference that will instruct us on how to better reach out to our, our friends and neighbors with the gospel, uh, to build relationships to do just that. Also, small groups will be having a sign-up sheet for those coming up next week. So, lots of things going on. I'm just really encouraged, asking us to continue to pray that uh, God would do great things uh, through what He wants to do uh, through Creekside Church. I invite you to bow with me as we pray and consider what God's Word has to say for us this morning or to us. Father, as I come this morning, I know that uh, I'm needy. I know that we are needy people. 
Uh, we need you to speak to us. We need you to work in and through us for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. And we pray that you would take your word and, as you are so faithful to do, uh, speak to our hearts and to transform us and to conform us and for some to warm us to the things and the truths of the word of God that we might come into your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week has been a real uh, eye-opener for us to realize again in fresh ways our own human frailty and also to be abruptly made aware of human depravity as we're mourning the mass shootings in Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas. We come to understand uh, that we live in a fallen world where people are desperately hurting and hurting other people. We also uh, learn lessons that kind of reminisced, made me reminisce about some truths that we learned uh, several months ago in the Creekside Church. We had what we called an active shooter training session where we were trained in how to deal with a potential threat, an active shooter situation. We learned something very important that we're stronger together. That when we work together in that kind of a situation, it ensures a better opportunity or a better chance of survivability. It's, it's a principle that in nature is very evident. And now, I don't know why this came to my mind, but it did, so that's just the way my mind works. But in, in, in Africa, the water buffalo employ this better together. So the older, stronger buffalo, as they're traveling, shelter the weaker and the younger inside of them. The more vulnerable are protected from the predators on the outside. That's how they protect themselves. It's true, not just for nature, but it's stronger together as an instruction that we're given as Christians in every age. As we seek to live rightly in a world that's increasingly hostile towards those who are godly and towards those who are Christians. And so the, the passage that came to my mind that, that deals with this is in First Peter chapter 4 because there uh, Peter is speaking to the scattered, the suffering, and the struggling band of believers in what is now modern-day Turkey, okay, in modern-day Turkey. And he was encouraging them, particularly that they should press on in being godly, that they should hold on to being holy, but they were being pummeled and persecuted and scattered and they were suffering. And so he was trying to encourage them to press ahead. So believers then and now, uh, they they realized that, uh, and he said this to them, the end of all time is at hand. Therefore, they lived in a world similar to us, a me too generation. They lived in a, it's all about me. It's just what I want. It's just how I can live. A self-centered world. He calls them and he calls us to live an other-centered life. Those who name the name of Jesus or if we want to press ahead and pursue godliness, if we want to press ahead and be strong in our walk with God and fight against the forces of evil and wickedness that are pressing in against us, we need to walk together because we're better together, we're stronger together through serving each other. And so at the end of chapter 4, Peter lists three, gives three commands that encourage them and challenge them to think about each other and live together, stronger together. And he says through these commands, because the obedience to those commands will ensure their spiritual maturity. They will enable them to stand firm against the enemy and they will serve to exalt their Savior. And we're going to just focus on the last of those commands, which is to serve one another. So I want you to turn in your Bibles or on your Bible app, on your phone or your device, or in the pew, or not the pew, the seat underneath you, underneath the seat in front of you, there is a Bible that uh, the page number is listed on the bulletin, the bulletin on the outline. I'm going to read, actually, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 in 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we're going to begin to look at these insights from verses 10 and 11 that emphasize the importance of serving one another with our spiritual gifts in a world that's hostile to Christianity, and it's increasingly so, because it's for the good of the church, and it's for the glory of God. 
1 Peter chapter 1 or 4, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer in the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That's our call. For the time already is past, past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lusts and drunkenness and carousals and drink, drunk, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And all this, in all this, they are surprised that you do not ter- run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. And there's the persecution. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be ostracized by a world that is increasingly morally corrupt. Verse 5, but they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they were, are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is at hand. Interesting. Peter writing two centuries, two thousand years ago, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, this is it, be of sound judgment and sober of spirit for the purpose of prayer above all. And here are the three commands. Keep fervent in your love, in your love one for another, because the love, love covers a multitude of sins. Secondly, be hospitable to one another without complaint. And finally, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. And whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Three insights that I see from the text in emphasize the importance of serving one another in a world that is increasingly antagonistic towards Christians that serve to make the church better and to exalt the Lord. And here they are. The first one is the, the, the manner or the mandate for serving one another. I like the way the ESV translates the first part of verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And there's several factors to consider. First of all, that each one possesses a special gift. So if you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus Christ and his death and that alone is a payment for your sin, you've been indwelt with the Spirit of God and been given a spiritual gift. The Toronto, Tra- Toronto Raptors won their first ever NBA championship and each one of the team members contributes something significant and unique to the overall success of the team. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but in the church of Jesus Christ, and particularly in a local assembly, the principle applies that each of us who've been gifted have been uniquely gifted and placed in this local assembly for the sake of the good of the, this body for the glory of God. And so we are each uniquely and specially gifted and equipped to help accomplish the purposes towards which God has set out for this local church. And so it's Paul says in Romans chapter 12, and since we, have, um, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7, it, it says <clears throat> that to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you have been gifted, if you're a child of God, for the good of all the body of Christ, but particularly this local assembly to which you have aligned yourself. Now, what is a spiritual gift? It's a spiritual manifestation, a a special enablement, a manifestation of the Spirit. Uh, Not technically talents. We all have talents. I mean, many different talents. And some you would think is not a talent, is really a talent. I mean, you know, because you can take your tongue and stick it on your uh, nose is not necessarily a talent, okay? Uh, It's not necessarily a talent. If you can juggle, maybe that's a talent. You can play the piano or whatever, that's a talent. You can learn foreign languages, that's a talent. But these are special enablements. Uh, On May 5th, uh, Wrigley Field in Chicago, they had a uh, promotion day. And and, uh, they gave away 10,000 hoodies. Okay, But they only gave away 10,000. So not everybody who came got a hoodie. Not everybody in the world has a spiritual gift. 
but every believer does have a spiritual gift. So God has limited giving spiritual gifts to believers, but every believer has a spiritual gift. And so that's what we need to understand, and the, and the enablements are limited to the children of God, but every child has one. And so the first question that we would begin to ask is, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Now, some of you were here this past summer and Wednesdays as we went through discovering your place in God's family, but some of you didn't. And so I'm just going to give you some suggestions for how you could go about, how we can go about finding out how I'm, where I'm gifted. First of all, and this is not rocket science, is just ask. Ask God. Lord, show me. You know, uh, God doesn't want to keep gifts secret. I mean, it's not like he's not some sadistic being up there waiting, hiding things from us. Uh, we just ask. We say, Lord, how have you gifted me? Pray. Uh, you can go. We, we talked about this in the class this summer. There are four places primarily in the scriptures to go. Two twelves and two fours. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. To find out a list of of examples of gifts, not exhaustive lists, but illustrative. They illustrate one types of gifts that we can have. Secondly, uh, attend discovering your place in God's family next time we offer it. Okay, if we didn't get to go through it this summer, then maybe I haven't talked to Doug, but perhaps we'll offer it again, and then you can go through it again. I would hope that we do. Thirdly, uh, attempt to serve in areas that interest you. I mean, we just had two gals up here saying, hey, we need some help. You say, well, yeah, I kind of like kids, or, you know, I kind of like working with kids. Maybe, I could, maybe that's me. So try it. That's how you do it. Attempt it. I have a challenge for you as an application to the sermons. Those of you who attended on Wednesday nights this summer, you received this on the last day that we did it, but it's called a ministry opportunity sheet. So out on the guest table, the welcome table, there are copies of the ministry opportunity sheet, which lists... Probably not exhaustively, but as much as we can thoroughly, the opportunities that there are for ministry in Creekside Church. And so you put your name at the top of the thing, and you go through and you check as many as that you would be interested in or think that you might like to try. And so that's my challenge for you today as an application. Now, there's only so many out there. If we run out, we'll just take a, start making a list of names, and we'll get them to you, okay? But that's my challenge for you to do, and you can under and then allow other mature believers to speak into your life. What would it be like for you to go up and say, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's talking, Pastor Steve's talking about this spiritual gift stuff, and I really don't know where I'm gifted. What do you think? And then listen to what they have to say. Now, some of us, we think we're gifted in an area, and we're not. And we just need somebody honest enough to say, no, that's not you. You know, you know you're, 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 not, you're not gifted there at all. Now, don't take that as an insult. Just realize that, hey, that's just not me. The thing I don't want us to do is obsess about trying to find our spiritual gifts to the exclusion of making a commitment to grow in our walk with God and then to serve. You say, well, I don't know if I'm good with kids. I don't know if I don't really have this passion for kids and I'm not sure. Well, so just try it. How do you know if you don't try? You know, I didn't know if I would like parasailing, but I do and, uh, because I tried it, you know. I don't know if I would like skydiving, but maybe someday I'll do it. You know, I might like it. I don't think I want to do bungee jumping, but I don't know. I like writing ragbri, so I, I know that because I tried it. But then after about 60 miles, when your seat is really sore, you're not liking it so much. So ask the Lord to show you. Allow others to speak into your lives. Fill out one of the forms and, and just try something. We'll call you. You know, if you say, oh, I might be interested in this, we'll, we're going to get that to people who are ministry team leaders and they're going to give you a jingle and say, okay, would you, would you be willing to give us a couple hours to try something? That's the idea behind it. So each one of us has been, been uh, given. Each possesses a gift. Then secondly, in verse 10 of chapter 4, each one receives a special gift. And I think that's important language. We receive the gift. That means we're not responsible for how we're gifted. It's not up to me how God has gifted me. It's not up to you. And so there's some implications. I wrote down in my notes there are two, and I put it on the outline that there are two implications, but perhaps this is three because I kind of combined the first together. There's no ground for self-pity or jealousy. 
No grounds for self-pity or jealousy within the body of Christ. Why? Because God decides how we're gifted. We don't. So if we have a problem with that, we are really have a problem with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 11 and verse 18, if you look at the screen, I'll read them and you can read them too. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, now notice these words, just as He wills, that's the Holy Spirit, and now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desires. So there's no room for us to to be pitying each other. In fact, if you read all of 1 Corinthians 12, you would see that Paul makes this great big analogy between the physical body and the church body. And he says, you know, we have all different members in the body. And and in fact, the ones whom we may seem to think are less important are just as necessary as the other parts of our body. Has anybody ever sat on their foot or their leg and it fallen asleep. Does anybody ever do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, maybe you don't do that. When I was a kid, we did it on purpose. You know, we, we, would, we, would, we would contort up into the chair, you know, and kind of sit there and sit there for a half hour and then your leg would feel numb. Cause just because we, we wanted to do this, you know, this crazy thing, this crazy walk, you know. And it's tingling, it feels kind of fun. Well, you know, you realize how important these parts of your body are that you, you didn't know. I remember one time I was riding a, a mini bike and I popped a wheelie on the mini bike and the mini bike fell over on my foot. Uh, you know, like a 300 pound mini bike. And, oh, I think I broke my toe. But I didn't tell my mom and dad because, you know, I didn't want them to know. And I'm telling you, you know, you know how important your big toe is? I mean, my big toe is ugly as, as mud, but it, it, it's very important. For me to walk and to maintain my balance. You know, you can't do this without your big toe. You know, you, you just, it, you're, you're struggling. In the body of Christ, we're all important. And so you may think I'm a big toe in, in this body of Christ. I may not be the best looking. I may not be the most talented. I may be hidden to the side. I may be uh, covered un, under a sock or a shoe. And I, I, nobody sees what I do. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't be jealous of somebody else because God has gifted you just as he wanted to gift you in this local assembly and in this body of Christ. There's no, uh, no reason. Those who have the gifts of service and of faith and of mercy and of compassion and, and those kinds of things should not pity themselves or envy those who are gifted with more visible gifts, teaching and, and preaching and leadership and administration. Don't feel envious and don't pity yourself because that's not you. Praise God for what he's done for you, and vice versa. Remember the Holy Spirit distributed him as he wanted to. Secondly, there's no ground for superiority. There's no reason for self-pity or jealousy, but there's also no reason for any sense of superiority. The words that Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, are very, very important. He said, he says, for who regards you as superior to another? Who regards you that way? For what do you have that you have not received? And if you've received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You hear that? I mean, I have no reason to boast in that which I have received as a gift. Because I'm not responsible for it. And so there's no reason for me, there is absolutely no grounds for me to Pretend like I'm superior to another person. You heard the text this morning read from 1 Corinthians 1.31. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in me. As Howard Hendricks once said, it's impossible for Steve, uh, to glorify Steve Smith and Jesus Christ at the same time. Can't be done. Thirdly, with regard to these uh, considerations, each one employs their gift. Each one possesses a gift. Each one has received a gift. Then each one is to employ his or her gift. And employ is literally with it serving one another. And the one another is specific here. This is within the body of Christ. 
Now, there's other passages that deal with us serving others, but this is within the body of Christ. We, we serve one another. Since the end of all things is near and hostility towards believers is a, a real thing, we should use our gifts to serve each other rather than to shoot at each other. You see, in the body of Christ, we tend to be and succumb to sinful, fallen pettiness. And we start shooting each other. The church of Jesus Christ, we wound our own soldiers rather than spend our energy building each other up to fight the enemy, the real enemy. And I pray that that would not be true for us in this body. When we face a world that's contrary, living in a loving community strengthens us, steals us, galvanizes us, so we're better able to endure. In, in cycling, you know, the Tour de France, they were running the Tour de France, and uh, Ragbride just went through, and you, you see different times, it's called a draft line, you get a bunch of bicyclists in a single row. And uh, I've ridden in one of these draft lines before, and it is unbelievably true that when you're riding in a line with a group of people, the amount of energy that you're saving is tremendous. You're able to go faster, farther, on less energy. And you take turns rotating the person who leads the, the group, and they're just cutting the wind. Folks, in the body of Christ, let's do the draft line. Let's cut the wind for each other. Let's make it easier for us to press ahead so we can fight the real enemy who is against us. And the idea is of continual service. Paul or Peter is writing here. He says that we should employ our gifts in serving one another. That is not a one and done thing. Say, well, you know, I did that a one thing last year. <laughs> not doing that. You know, I, I helped pour coffee in the kitchen one time, and, you know, I, I spilled it, and uh, somebody bellyached about the juice or something. I'm not doing that again. No, this is continual service, constant service. It's not hard to serve one time, but it takes great faith and strength to keep pressing ahead in the body of Christ uh, continually. So there's a couple of... Uh, thoughts that came to my mind with regard to the fact that we're to continually serve one another, and that is we never retire from serving the Lord. Now, could there be a redirection in the exact ministry that I'm involved in? Sure. Could there be a reassignment? Maybe. Restrictions? Sure. I mean, I'm getting older. I mean, I can't do some of the things that I used to be able to do. You know, for some of us old guys to sit on the floor with the, the little kids is not necessarily as easy as it used to be. To run and play games is not as easy as it used to be. So we can redirect, we can reassign, we can do something different but never retire. You know, this idea, 30 years and I'm done. I just, last week I was gone, I was attending my 40th class reunion, my high school class reunion, and I'm sitting around and actually literally talking to some people that I haven't talked to for 40 years, which is kind of sad, actually, but, uh, you know, I mean, most of you, if you've graduated from high school, you realize this. Very few of your high school friends are your closest friends. And one person I talked to, that person has retired twice. I mean, I'm not that old, and neither is he. Retired twice, once from uh, military life, once from civilian life, and now uh, the, that person is a consultant. Another person, and they were sitting there talking about retirement. You know, what are you thinking about retirement? What are you thinking about retirement? I think, I'm in the Lord's service. I don't plan on retiring. Now, I may not always be doing exactly what I'm doing. I may not always be vocationally employed, at, you know, in, in ministry, but I don't plan on retiring, you know, and I don't think that's a biblical concept for the believer is, is retirement from serving God. So that's not an issue for us. I, I think about this. You know, we got, oftentimes, it's kind of funny, I was glad to see uh, the Ross cams in, in the first service this morning because usually they're in the kitchen, you know, getting stuff ready. 
Rod is always here early getting the elements of communion ready, you know. Karen and Rod play the piano for the first service, you know. The gals in WMO and Cleo and I could go on and on. There, there, there are some of them that they've been serving for long. There was literally a person who I, I heard say, well, you know, I did this for, for 20 years. Now I'm done. Well, you may be done with that, but I hope you're not done. Otherwise, why are you still here? Why are you wasting oxygen? Because God asked us to serve the Lord. And that's what he expects us, us to serve him. And then secondly, an uninvolved Christian is an oxymoron. An uninvolved Christian is an oxymoron. An oxymoron it just means it's a, a contradiction in terms. Okay? You can't be a Christian and be uninvolved okay, in, in serving one another. Obedience to Christ means we serve others in the body. And I believe that the, the best place we have to serve in the body, the priority should be our local church because that's where we are in contact with the most believers, one another's. You know, even if we don't know what our gift is, we can still serve. I mean, I've done service things, and some of service is just grunt work. You know, you're just showing up. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the most handy person, but I'll show up for a work day and you just tell me what to do and I'll try to do it. And if I can't do that, I'll try to do something else. We don't have to be the most handy. There are needs for Christian workers. We, you, know, you heard the Awana thing, children's church, or children's Sunday school, teachers. Uh, some of you may be gifted in counseling and just having a listening ear. You can listen to the, the hurts and struggles. And some of you are gifted in praying. Some of you are gifted in giving. And you know that there are needs. And you're just going around meeting those needs. And you're not telling everybody and broadcasting it. You're just serving the Lord by meeting the needs of the people around you. And participate. Some of you go visit. Some of you help haul people back and forth to the doctor. That's, that's serving the Lord. Serving brothers and sisters in Christ. Taking meals, serving on boards and committees. Lack, lacking giftedness is no excuse for not doing it. You say, well, I'm not gifted in mercy. That doesn't give you an excuse to be a jerk. You know? I don't have the gift of giving. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to give. I don't have the gift of evangelism. doesn't mean you're not supposed to share the gospel. doesn't mean I'm not supposed to share the gospel. I'm just maybe not as gifted at it, but God has still called me to it. Secondly, we discover the manner for serving one another. Not only the mandate, we've seen the mandate, but now the manner. And there's two clarifications in verse 10. At the end of verse 10, he says, Serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A steward is a household manager. That's what Joseph did in Potiphar's house in Genesis chapter 39. He managed the house. So you and I, for believers, have been given stuff to manage, gifts. And we're supposed to use those gifts for the, for, for the glory of God. Every believer is entrusted with at least one gift. And when he says the manifold grace of God, which means we all have you know, usually different gifts. So it's a, like a kaleidoscope of gifts. And we're supposed to use them for the glory of... To be a good steward means to be morally good. Some of you people watch every year... It's a wonderful life. And remember George Bailey? George Bailey is a good steward because George is, is, takes what he's been given and he uses it to help and serve other people. But Mr. Potter is not a good steward. He's a greedy, grubby, grubby old man. And he takes everybody's stuff. God wants us to use our gifts to serve other believers. When we faithfully serve, then we're being good stewards of what God has called us to do. If we've squandered it, you know, then maybe, I mean, some people do. They, you know, we fall into a funk sometimes and we just kind of get out of it. Just ask the Lord, what could I be doing? And if you wonder what you could be doing, the ministry opportunity sheets are out there on the Welcome Center. You just take one, fill it out, and, and turn it back into Megan at the, at the church office. Then our manner is illustrated. Peter elaborates on what good stewardship looks like by using two categories of service. Speaking and serving. And notice what he says. Whether whoever speaks, verse 11, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Well, that's good because if we're not speaking the utterances of God, we're not really speaking anything worth listening to. 
So when we're teaching and when we're leading a Bible study and when we're guiding the young people in Awanas, we use the Word of God. I heard something this week is very profound. Either the Bible determines our morality or our morality determines our belief about the Bible. And we live in a culture in which increasingly and overwhelmingly people's morality is determining how they view the Bible. They're not letting the Bible determine their morality. They're letting their morality determine how they view the Bible. And we are, if we're going to speak, those who speak, speak as it were the utterances of God. Speak as it were the utterances of God. You know, former Governor Branstead is now the ambassador to China. And when he speaks, he speaks as it were the utterances of the Trump administration. Well, he better be connected with and communicating with the administration if what he's going to say is really accurately representing them. The same is true for us. That's why we need to use these summer workouts to focus on prayer and worship and the importance of the Word of God in our life so that we're connected to the Father and so when we speak, we speak as it were the utterances of God and not our own opinions. Secondly, the serving gifts. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies. And those with the gifts of service and mercy and faith and administration, hospitality, we serve in the strength which God supplies. I love first, or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. And he says that he's praying for them that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and, and that they would know what are the, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what are the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe which was brought about in Christ when he was raised from the dead. If you're a child of God, you have the resurrection power of Christ within you. We have Christ's resurrection power in us to be able to serve because doing this service for people is not natural. Why? Because we're selfish. Why would I want to serve somebody else? I want to serve myself. So we are to look to God's word and understand that we cannot do anything. But in Christ, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Not that we are adequate in and of ourselves as considering anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is in Christ, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. I served uh, one time with a, a guy, and we had been serving for eight days in a 24 7 uh, camp with students. Some were younger, some were older, but 24 7. I mean, we're sleeping with these people, eating with these people, and some of them are acting like knuckleheads, you know, using ninja stars and throwing them against the wall. And, uh, you know, just it, it was bizarre. And, uh, and, and we were up late and, and up early. And the last night, all the students thought it would be a great idea if we stayed up all night. And I'm thinking, that's not a great idea. But this one brother of mine, humble servant of God, he goes, oh, I would be glad to stay up. And he's exhausted. He said, I'd be glad to stay up. And, and so he would take the shift until 2 a.m. And then another guy said he would get up at 2 a.m. and stay up until, you know, breakfast or whatever. And then the next day, this brother of mine who had stayed up till 2 a.m., he'd been serving all week, he's like, oh, let me help you carry this bag to the thing, and let me help you do this. And he was serving people and carrying people. And, oh, we need somebody to ride the bus back to uh, the, the main town instead of taking the van that's air-conditioned. Oh, I would, I would be glad to do that. Who does that? Somebody who's controlled by the Spirit of God. Somebody who understands that it's not about him. Somebody who's willing to serve for the sake of Jesus. Somebody who says, you know what, I've been gifted and equipped and I'm going to serve the people that God has put in my place. It's not a natural thing, it's a supernatural thing. It's something that happens because the Spirit of God is working within us. And finally, we discover the motive for serving one another. Notice the text says at the end of verse 11 or midway through the verse 11, he says, in order that or so that, in all things, God may be glorified. 
The so that is the, the reason or the result. It's reason and or result. It's the why. It's the consequence of serving. And what is the consequence? What is the reason that, that God would be glorified? And we see three insights. First, we learn the measure to which God is glorified in all things. And Paul said, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I may not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ may now, as always, be exalted in my body. Philippians 1.20. I don't know, I've prayed that, I need to pray it more consistently. But that's what I would want for my life, that in all things, Christ would be glorified in my body. That is something I can control, is to pray that prayer. I can't control whether God is glorified, but I can control whether I'm moving towards that. And that's what he says, when we serve one another, that is the, and it's all of, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. In all that I live out as a believer, that God would be glorified. Secondly, we learn the means whereby God is glorified through Jesus Christ. Christ who brings our salvation. Christ who produces the growth in our spiritual life and who empowers us for service is the means whereby we bring glory to God. And then we learn the mandate for God to be glorified. To whom? This is kind of tricky at the end of verse 11, or it can be. It says, through Jesus Christ, to whom? Well, who is the whom to whom refers? Well, it's God. Well, it's Jesus. Yeah, it's God and Jesus. It's deliberately vague because God is deserving of glory and honor forever and ever. And so is the Son deserving of glory forever and ever. And so the Father and the Son are deserving. And when we consider our frailty as humans and the victory over sin and death and hell that Christ provides, which he purchased at Calvary, and the hostility of a fallen world and the certainty of Christ's soon return, we realize that the call to serve one another makes us stronger. And brings glory to the Father and to the Son. And that's what God wants us to do. John Piper has said, God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. And one of the ways we demonstrate that we're most satisfied in Him is when we serve other people in the body of Christ. When we serve the body of Christ. And Julie Ertz and Tobin Heath are members of the USA Women's FIFA World Cup Championship team. Believers who serve their teammates for the glory of God. How much more should you, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, commit to serve one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ, for the, for the glory of God? You know, I don't think anybody who has ridden Ragbri would ever say, you know, I wish I really hadn't done as much training on hills. I wish I hadn't done as much hill training. You know, I, I, probably, I probably spent way too much time climbing hills in preparation for Ragbar. Especially when you got a 2,000-foot gain over 65 miles or a 3,200 3, gain over 85 miles. No, you're not saying, oh, I, well, I spent way too much time with that. Folks, the training. See, here's the thing. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 is uh, uh, godliness is profitable for all things. He says, we should train yourself for the purpose of godliness. He didn't say go out and try. Train. When we exercise our service muscles, we are equipping ourselves to perpetuate service for the long haul. Just like the rag riders training to do hill work is preparation for the competition. We're training ourselves to serve the Lord Jesus and to face adversity, it makes us stronger, and it magnifies the Lord. Unbelievers, you know, here this morning, you may say, I don't even know Jesus. I don't really care about Jesus. I, in fact, I'm really not really excited about Jesus now because I don't want to sign up to be marginalized, minimized, minimized and trivialized, and then made fun of, and now I'm supposed to serve other people. That sounds like a gig I don't want a part of. What I'd say to you is, consider the fact that the pardon that Jesus Christ offers from your sin the purpose that he provides for you for a life that is here and for eternity. The peace that God provides through the person and work of Jesus. And the promise of eternal life far outweigh 
whatever cost we pay this side of glory. And I would invite you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus and be part of the community that works together, that fights together, that's stronger together because we serve one another. And put your faith and your trust in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know, uh, there's a worldwide, worldwide. If you listen to the news, you hear anything, you are understanding that Christianity is under assault. And believers are under assault. And we need each other to face the battle and to bring glory to God. That's the end game, folks. We serve a risen Savior, and it's not so that we can insulate and isolate, but it's so that we can proclaim the truth that He would be glorified. And we do it better together. And as we break bread and we share the cup, what we do is we remember what Christ has done for us so that our service for Him flows from praise, not payback. When you consider, when I consider what Jesus did for me, I can't pay him back for that. There's no way. But I can sure praise him for it. And when I break this bread and drink this cup, I remember what Christ has done for me and what he's done for you. And I know that I'm unworthy. But he brought me into his family to be part of this body of believers to serve him for his glory. And I am grateful. And so I serve him out of praise and not out of payback. If you're this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come and celebrate and break bread and drink this cup. Take a few moments to search your heart and get your heart right with God so that you know that you're coming as much as you can with a clean conscience before Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You've called us to serve one another in love. And I know we can't do it in our own strength. And I pray that You, Holy Spirit, would empower us that we would fear You And love each other for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. Take these elements, this time that we spend worshiping you, and use it to help us remember what you've done for us so that we can more consistently reflect your love to those in the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name.